Welcome to Faith Center Foursquare Church's Message of the Week. For more information on the church or ministry, head on over to our website, eurekafaithcenter.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Now, we hope you enjoy this message. Hey, good morning. How are you? Wow, okay. <laughs> Let's get a little rowdy this morning, you know? You're in church, not in a library. You're not in a museum for crying out loud, you know? Um, it's okay to hoot and holler a little bit and get excited. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That makes me feel good. That makes me feel at home. Um, like Pastor Greg said, my name is Grace Kladnick, and I do live in Los Angeles. I'm so sorry. I do live in Los Angeles. Um, and I was thinking about the, how different Los Angeles is from here. Have you noticed any differences? Uh, <laughs> my husband actually was here for a couple days, but he, he flew home yesterday to go be with our kids. We have three children, three girls, uh, 10, 5, and 3 years old. So he went home because you can only get a babysitter for so long with three. Am I right? Like, even the babysitter was like, I love these kids, but you need to come home now. I said, how do you think I feel every day of my life? Um, no, they're awesome. They're the, the greatest joys. Um, but he's preaching today at our church, so he had to, to fly home. But we had some time to drive up the coast. We, saw, we went to Trinidad. What in the world, you guys? That is the most beautiful place. I saw trees. Like, we have palm trees. Like, those, I, those, I can't even call them a tree anymore. Like, the trees that are here are so beautiful. The differences that I saw, I could, I could take a deep breath, and there was this thing that was happening to my lungs. It was rejoicing. Like, it was like, this is what it's meant to be like, you know. I said, what's that? What's that smell? Oh, that's fresh air. You know, like, what is that that I see? So I was kind of saying, like, man, there's so many differences between L.A. and Humboldt County and just how beautiful it is here in true Northern California. Am I right? Like, it took me a long time to get up here. This is, people say San Francisco, no, no stop lying. Stop lying to people. This is true Northern California, and it is beautiful. But I was thinking, what are the things that we, we have in common that I could, we could relate together, Right? Because I want to relate to you. You want to relate to me. And I, I believe we found the solution to what brings us together or how terrible these are. And Pastor Greg, even, he tried. He tried to explain how to open this. And I saw you in the back. I saw you struggle. I was struggling with you, okay? And then now we're hiding it because Greg told us what to do and we still can't do it. We're, reuni we're united at the table, right? <laughs> we really, in multiple ways. So, um, like I said, I'm super excited to be here. I heard that you guys are waiting for a new pastor. <laughs> I heard that that's happening. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. We're, it's a, we're in a political environment, I guess. Um, well, I work with Pastor Tim, who you've met. Hi, guys. I work with Pastor Tim, and he is working hard. We are working hard to find the, the right pastor, um, the one that God is setting up for this place. So I invite you to do something. Pray. I know you probably already are, but would you pray and would you fast um, and seek God's face and his will for this church? Amen? Awesome. So, and I'll do my best to help Tim hurry it up. All right? <laughs> but I'm super excited to be here. Why don't you open up your Bible to John 6? We will read the Bible today. So get your Bible or your Bible app. If you're online, uh, we will have it on the screen, and then person will have it on the screen also. 
So something I love to do when I read my Bible, and this is in your bulletin this week, if you would like to sort of do a little extra study on the side, or maybe you get in small groups and you talk about the word that was preached, some questions I love to ask when I'm reading my Bible are, what stood out to me in this scripture, pa- scripture passage? Um, what does this scripture passage teach me about God? And what does it teach me about people or ourselves? I love to, when I open up the word, just kind of have those questions in the back of my mind. What is, this, what is this passage teaching me about God? What is it teaching me about others, about myself? What's standing out to me? And I just love to dialogue. I'll write it down in my journal. I'll talk to a friend about it. And I'll say, hey, this is what came out at me. And John 6 is this interesting passage because we sometimes put this passage in the category of Sunday school lessons only. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Ever heard of it? Right, and sometimes we can go like, man, I've heard the story so many times, and, you know, they teach this in Sunday school, and isn't this a Sunday school lesson? And and, um, I think that we need to be really careful if we ever think that we can open up that word and we can't learn something new. And so I've been led back to this passage several times. We're going to read it. It's going to be on the screen. Oh, hey, there I am. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, probably looked like the beautiful mountains around here, right? And sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Notice, when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. So he's asking his disciple, one of his friends here, hey, what are we going to do? All these people are coming. Do we have enough bread for them? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind who he was, what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one, of, um, one to have a bite. And another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Well, here's this boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There, are pl- there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Picture that in your mind. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had, all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. That's the word of God. Amen. So we have in John here, this is uh, one book of the four gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, our first four books in the New Testament. Those are called the gospels. And we see this unique story that actually is this story, this miracle story is in all four Gospels, the only miracle story in all four Gospels and also the resurrection. And so something about that tells me there's something unique to the story that we should lean into. Because the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're very similar in tone. They're very similar in story. And then you have John that shows up, and 90% of the book of John is different perspective, different stories than the other three. And this is the one story that they made sure they put into all four books. So something tells me, okay, what's there? 
What do we need to lean into? So let's pray. God, I pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, our ears would be open. Speak to us. Go ahead, say that. Speak to me, Lord. I want to hear your voice. I want to be challenged by your word. Let it do what only it can do. Amen? Amen. So I was getting excited to come here, and um, I was invited to come and speak, which is always an honor. And I said, well, I've never been to this part of the country, so I um, want to know all the cool things to do, all the great places to go. And there's a, there's a gentleman in your church named Nathan. I don't know if you know him. He's on a council member. And uh, Pastor Tim Russell put me on a, a, a text thread with this guy. Never met this guy. And he said, hey, Nathan's going to tell you all the great places to go. And I said, okay, cool. And so I get this text message from this guy, and he says, I love this place so much. You're, you got to check out all, and he, it was paragraphs of all these things. So I'm going to name a couple places. You tell me if you would agree with him. So he said, I need to go eat at Brick and Fire. Okay, okay. How about Green Lily? Yes. yes. And then the other one was Ramones. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, and I'm sure you even have some places that you would be like, but you got to make sure you go to this place. And you got to check out. We went to some place when we went to Trinidad. Um, there's like a, a cone that has um, mashed potatoes in it. The mashed potato cone. Okay. We tried that. And um, <laughs> it was unique. Um, but I ended up getting to go to all of these three places. And I will testify that they were delicious and wonderful. And I'm so glad that someone gave me that recommendation and we took them up on it. But what is it about those places when I mention those names? And maybe you have your favorite coffee shop. You have your favorite, um, you know, quiet place to go by the water and read or whatever it is. You have your favorite place. What is it about those places that keep you going back? Well, sure, maybe there's great quality food. There's great atmosphere. But there's something about it, and it's the culture that you experience and you feel when you get there. And culture is this really interesting thing because sometimes you can't even put your finger on it, but you just know you like it. You know it feels right. You feels good. You also know when it doesn't feel right, right? Some of us grew up in family cultures that were toxic and hard, and you got together, and it was always just not good. And you understand what that culture feels like. Sometimes you don't even realize it till you get into a healthy culture, and then you go, oh, my gosh, I grew up in such a mess and I didn't even understand or didn't even realize. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes churches, all the time churches, have a certain unique culture. Christians, we have a certain unique culture. And there's something unique about culture that's in this invisible thing. You can't see it, but it defines so much. You choose which airline to fly on. Unless you have to fly in here and I had to choose United. And thank goodness it was a good one, right? But you choose which airline you want to fly because of the culture, because you know what to expect. You know what you're going to get. You choose the restaurants. You choose the environments that you put yourself in because it defines so much. A bad culture will consistently undermine an amazing mission, vision, and strategy. So you can have the, for your business, you can have the best vision and mission and strategy. But if you have a toxic culture, it will, it will destroy it. Have you ever been in a work environment where the, the culture is gossip and it's backbiting and you, know, you don't know who to trust? Doesn't that feel awesome? <laughs> Doesn't that feel so good? When you talk to someone and you're like, I have no idea what they're going to say behind my back. This is great. I feel so safe, you know? That's a toxic culture. It's not fun. 
And you could have the best idea, the best mission of where you want to go as a company, as a, go a, as a church, go as a people. And if you have a toxic culture, it destroys it. And so what does this mean for us? And what does that have to do with the feeding of the 5,000? Well, I believe that Jesus is showing us and inviting us into this kingdom culture. It's the kingdom of God. And he's giving us illustration and examples, and he's proving to us and showing to us it's a different kind of culture that you're used to, right? And he's inviting us, and he's dividing, he's inviting the disciples into this life where he's saying, I want to show you what a different way of living looks like. It's a good word, right? <laughs> Jesus mentions the kingdom 126 times in the ESV translations of those four gospels. Jesus clearly wants to get our attention and our focus and our gaze and our understanding on kingdom culture, a different way of living, a different way of life. Matthew 6, 25, you guys know this scripture. It talks about why do you worry about your life, what you will wear, what you will eat, right? And it says, don't I clothe, you know, the flowers in the field? Don't they look great? But then let's go down to verse 31. It says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things. He's talking about this upside-down culture. There's a culture that runs after those things. I need more. I need more. I need more. Oh, I'm still not satisfied. I need more. There's, there's a culture that runs after the things, the temporary things that we think will fulfill us. Is anyone listening to this this morning? And Jesus is saying, for the pagans run after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need what you need and what the, that you need them. But seek first, say it, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Does Jesus care about all the details of your life? Yes. Does he care about you being clothed and fed? Yes, of course. But he's inviting you into a different way of life where he says, if you're going to be so consumed by those things, you're going to miss it. But why don't you seek first my kingdom? We're not talking about a kingdom of castles and the queen. We're talking about this kingdom culture that's upside down from what society tells us is important. Jesus was the best example of this kingdom culture Jesus said that he came to serve and not be served. Everyone is expecting Jesus the king to come riding in with a sword. And he came with a towel around his arm, ready to serve. He laid down his life for many, for every single one of you in this room. He said that the last will be first, the first will be last. We are to be salt, we are to be light. These are, different, these are different ways of living than what the world offers us. So what does this have to do with the 5,000? He is demonstrating a seek-first kind of kingdom. He knew, man, I got I to gotta let these, my friends know because I'm not going to be here. Jesus knew soon he was going to leave, right? And it wasn't enough to just tell them because clearly they weren't getting that part. It wasn't, I mean, how many times has, have you read a verse, but you didn't live it out? So, like, we can, we can dog on the disciples all we want, but we do this every day. 
You come into church, you hear a message, you're like, amen. You walk out, you do the opposite. I mean, come on, right? It's hard. And so Jesus knew this, and he was like, listen, I got to demonstrate some things because sometimes it's just not enough to read it in a book. Sometimes it's not enough to just be told, you need to live it, breathe it, experience it. Am I right? When we talked about your testimony, come on, that's something no one can take away from you because you have lived it. You've experienced. When someone tells you, oh, there's no God, let me tell you about the God who saved me. Nobody can take that from you. So Jesus is giving them opportunity after opportunity to experience what this kingdom life is like. And so he sees this opportunity where these people are coming to gather. He knows what's coming up ahead and he goes, okay, come on, come on. Get close, guys. Let me show you what kingdom living looks like. So as Christians, this culture that we live, this kingdom culture, is partnering with Jesus to walk it out. There's four different angles here, four different perspectives I want us to look at in this, in this um, passage. So if you're taking notes, this might be something you want to jot down, but I want you to, to enter into this story too and go, okay, what part do I resonate with? What, what part speaks to me and there might be several parts, but can we go there? Can we talk about the four different angles that I kind of saw when I was reading this passage? The first one, when we're talking about kingdom culture and this kingdom understanding, this Jesus culture, this different way of living, I look to Jesus in this story, and it's Jesus who shows compassion. Jesus who shows compassion. Let's read Matthew 14. Again, this is another gospel. This is another angle. It's another look at this story. I love how the Gospels do that. They don't contradict each other. They, they show us different angles. They show us different perspectives, different looks. They're spoken to different audiences. So depending on what you need to hear and how you need to hear it, each Gospel address that issue. So we look at the passage in Matthew, and I encourage you to go home today and look at all four passages of this verse and meditate on it. Matthew 14, 13 to 21, it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. First of all, when Jesus heard what had happened, what did he hear happened? That's right. John the Baptist, his friend, just got beheaded. And not only that, but all the disciples had just come back from a missionary trip talking about all the cool things that happened. And probably the stressful things. Have you ever tried to be, you know, on a missions trip? I mean, some stressful stuff happens too. And they're probably telling Jesus, man, this happened and that happened. And we didn't understand. Like, we tried to cast that demon out. It didn't work. And, you know, they're just talking about it. So Jesus has come with all this information. He's holding on to a deep grieving, deep sadness. And the excitement and the questions of his disciples. And what does he do? He withdrew by boat privately. And not just himself, he actually had the disciples come with him. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. He couldn't get away. He couldn't get away from them. He's like, I'm getting on the boat, people. Like, and they're just, they're, you know, they're going around. They're going to find him. It's like toddlers. They will find you. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So this first angle, this pers first perspective of kingdom culture, kingdom living, Jesus culture living, is that Jesus shows compassion and he is able to show compassion from a place of rest. 
If you find yourself right now in life going, I'm just kind of tapped out on compassion for anyone else. When was the last time you rested in his presence and you got away from it all? And you got alone with God. There's a scripture in John 5, 19 that says, that Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. If you are trying to muster up compassion, muster up grace and love for people, that only, you can only get so much to do that. Am I right? Before it runs dry and then you're like, Lord Jesus, take the wheel, you know? Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. Therefore, he was in step, in rhythm with his Father. He knew when to draw away. He knew when to get rest. Do you know when to get rest? When you, get, when you have compassion and you try to give out a place of lack, tiredness, you will feel taken advantage of and you will burn out. In the kingdom culture, he doesn't want us to burn out. And I'm sorry, but you can't burn out if you were never on fire. So if you get closer to him and you let him ignite you and you serve and you live from a place that he asks you to do. If you are giving and you are, because you think that's what's best or that you want to be liked or that's just what a good Christian should do and God hasn't asked you, you're going to burn out and then you're going to blame other people. Friends, I encourage you to put up a mirror and say, hey, you, are you close to Jesus? Are you getting everything you need from him? Are you trying to suck the life out of everybody else and every other thing to fulfill you? Because let me tell you, it won't, right? It won't. We live from a place of rest and renewal in God. This isn't just a vacation that you take. How many of you guys have gone on a vacation, you come back, you're more tired? Like, darn it, what happened? This is a spirit-filled kind of life. Do you know that you're part of the four-square denomination? We believe in the Spirit of God filling you and filling you and pushing you out to do all that God's called you to do. So we live and we move from that place. Jesus knew, I'm going to show you, I'm going to demonstrate to you what this kingdom culture looks like. And it starts from a place of rest. That's the opposite of what the world tells us, isn't it? The world tells us, keep going, keep striving, keep moving, keep going, keep going, up the ladder, up the ladder. And Jesus says, will you rest? And it's amazing what happens from that place. Because friends, it's never about what we can do in our own strength. If you could do it, then you get the glory. Man, are we going to be willing to find that place of rest with him so he gets the honor, he gets the glory? That's the kingdom culture we're talking about. The second angle, the second perspective is from the disciples. And I see the disciples who try to figure it out on their own. You don't have to lift up your hand, but is this you? <laughs> you know, a problem comes your way and you're like, let me solve this. Or let me pay someone who will solve it. The disciples who try to figure it out on their own, they try to use their own logic. They try to just, we got to get this done. Jesus, we see these people, they're coming. Do you see them, Jesus? That's a lot of people. So what are we going to do here? Um, we should send them away. We should tell them, hey, don't stop. We're done. We're done for the day. You need to go. And Jesus leans in and he's like, yeah, how are we going to feed these guys? 
as if he doesn't know. He invites them into this kingdom life. He invites them in and goes, yeah, your logic ain't going to figure this out. But a spirit-filled life, a life that's attached and connected to the source, now that might do the trick. This is a seek-first moment. A seek-first moment. When life gets crazy, you're wondering what this was up here for. Can you imagine if this was just like what I like to drink while I preach? And I was like, one second, you know. <laughs> Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> like that, man, people in L.A., am I right? Am I right? <laughs> this is life. The pressure. Have you ever gone to the grocery store and you put your groceries in the back seat and you get home, oh my gosh, and this thing is rolling around and you're like, well... We're going to have to let that sit out for two weeks because I have no idea what's happened, you know? Or maybe you're adventurous and you're like, let's just pop it open. Fourth of July weekend. Woo! This is the pressures of life. They're coming at you. People are coming at you in your business asking, hey, we need answers. We need to know what to do. You're looking at your finances. Oh, gosh, how are we going to make the bills this week? How, how are we going to get our kids um, into that school? How are we going to help provide for them? How am I going to stay sober? How am I going to make sure that I'm doing the right thing that's ahead of me? And the pressures of life, and you're feeling triggered. Something's happening. You're like, oh, gosh, I have anxiety. I have, I'm struggling with depression. Whatever it is, and the pressures are coming at you. And wouldn't it just be silly to pop that open right then? This is the kingdom that Jesus invites us into. Wait on the Lord. Wait on him. He will renew your strength. He will give you vision and direction. Will you be brave enough to wait? Because the world culture tells you just do what feels good. Do what feels right in that moment. And the Lord would say, wait on the Lord. And if you feel a pressure to figure it out for everybody, why don't you bring that before the Lord? Because that is not what he's asked of you. Let him be God. You got kids, teenagers that are acting crazy. Bring them before the Lord. Stop trying to control them because it's not working. Am I right? So bring them before the Lord and let Jesus deal with them. But you get on your hands and knees and you believe and you pray and you intercede. Everyone's coming to you for the answers and the solutions. There's a problem, friend. They need to go to Jesus. So get out of the way so that they can go to him. Wait on the Lord. We see the disciples, they're just so quick to fix it because in their own logic, in their own understanding, that they might just for a second miss what actually is about to happen, a miracle before them. But here's what I love. Is they wait and they look to Jesus and he asks them a question and they're like, listen, we don't have enough money to do this. What are you talking about? But wait, there's this boy over here. He has something. Could, that, could we do anything with that? There's a partnership that happens with Jesus, and then they obey. Jesus says, okay, we have something to work with here. Get every, everybody in groups over on the grass, and they obey. So wait, and then obey. That's the kingdom culture that we're talking about. The third perspective we have here is this kid willing to give what he has. I want you to think about what's in your hand right now in your life. And you think it's insignificant. You think it's not enough. I think about this young boy who showed up because he heard about this, this guy, Jesus. 
He heard that his friends were getting healed. He heard his family was, it was talking about it. He goes, I just want to be there. I want to see what this is all about. And he, you know, he packed himself because he was smart. He packed himself some, some fish and some bread, and he showed up. And that was what he had in his hand, and he was willing to hand it over. And I imagine in a crowd, this says 5,000 men. There's probably up to 10 um, to 12,000 people there because they didn't count the women and children. And so I guarantee you there was someone else in that crowd who had something. Really, you're telling me 10,000 people showed up and didn't have a piece of bread? They didn't know they would be gone all day and they packed a little Lunchable? Come on. But this little boy was willing to look at what little he had and say, I have this. What little do you have to offer the Lord? Because the miracle begins when we place all that we have in the hands of Jesus. Your lack is enough. Would you place it in the hands of Jesus? All that you have, would you place it in the hands of Jesus and watch the miracle unfold? The fourth thing here, and the worship team is going to come up in a second, is we have the crowd content with secondhand miracles. One of my life verses is John 10, 10. And Jesus says that I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. This word abundant is overflowing. In this kingdom culture that God invites us into, it's about living in this abundant life. So think about the crowd who came and they sat down and they were just told, okay, everybody, you're going to need to sit in groups of 50 and go ahead, there's plenty of room here. And they're just like, oh, okay. Sat down. Okay, there's going to be a basket that comes around. Just take as much as you want. As much as you want. Really, as much as we want. Okay. They got to participate in life that day. Jesus said, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. They got to participate in life. They got fed that day. They got nourished. Remember that verse that says, why do you worry about that? I'll take care of that, but seek first the kingdom. They got to participate in life, and many of us are participating in life. Am I right? You're here. You're raising your kids. You're going to work. You're, you know, you're trying to just do the right thing, and you're participating in life. But are you content with secondhand miracles, or do you want in on the action? Do you want to be the little boy that says, this is all I have, God, and in his hands, seeing and watching what it does? The Lord invites you into a relationship, into a life of abundance, where you go through life not just getting the basic necessities, but partnering with him. Church, he invites you into this life. He invites you into a miracle living life where when you see someone who's sick, you can pray for them and watch them be healed. When you see someone strung up and, and addicted to drugs, you get to walk along and say, let me tell you my testimony. Let me tell you my story. The same Jesus who saved me, turned me around and put me on a different path can do the same for you. You get to look at your kids and say, I know it's hard and you have questions and you're struggling. Let me tell you about a miracle working God. And you get to invite your kids into a life of miracles, a life of abundance where you don't just work every day, go to school, save up enough money to go on a week vacation, come back, do it all again. Are you kidding me? We are living a life focused and following after Jesus. It should be exciting. 
It should be power-filled. And I loved how Jesus said, it's better that I go because the Holy Spirit's going to come to fill you and empower you to live this kind of life. Feeding 5,000 was not meant to stay in the Gospels. It was meant for us to live it out. And a world is desperate for this kind of story, this kind of life, a life of power, a life connected as we rest and we, we draw closer to our Father and we get everything we need from the source. And we live from that place and we, and we say, Jesus, here's all that I have. God, do what only you can do with this. He invites you into that kind of life. Do you want to live it? It's not the role and not the job of your pastors here at church. It doesn't matter who your next pastor is going to be. You are called. You are called to live a life that pleases the Lord and follows after him. We're going to end. How about we just do that bridge? Because it's so good. And you sing it so beautifully. Why don't you stand? And I encourage you in this moment, we have, what, one minute of this song. Why don't you take a moment before the Lord and if you want this kind of life, and maybe you've lived this, maybe you're living this life, man, awesome. Keep going. Ask the Lord for more. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh. We could always use that. But I want to speak to you today. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, what your past looks like. God wants to use you. He sat on that mountaintop and he looked at his friends and he said, okay, let me demonstrate. You're a part of this. And he wants you to be a part of this world, this life that is a kingdom culture kind of way of living. He wants this church to be a part of that. He wants you to be a part of that. Amen.